we are continuing our summer series today, which has been uh, the Sunday School Stories series, where we are breaking down maybe some familiar stories that you have heard growing up or just in our culture, um, and really diving deep. And I, I think I've said this already, but I feel like every story we've discussed, discussed so far this summer could have been a three or four week series. I mean, these stories are so good and so deep and so rich. And what we're really doing is just kind of taking one truth out of these stories and, and, and looking at that. And uh, that's what we're going to do today as we discuss Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this is one of those stories, there's very few, that are in all four of the Gospels. This story is in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all right about Jesus feeding the 5,000. So that alone tells us that this is something that's pretty important. We're going to look at two uh, perspectives. We're going to look at Matthew's perspective and at John's perspective. And so let's start in, in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Okay, so before we go any further, we need to make this distinction about Jesus. Jesus is different, okay? Jesus is just different. He is God-man. He is, he is god and he is also man. So he has human tendencies, and he is also the divine God in human form, okay? And we see that in these few verses. We see both of those things, that Jesus is human and that Jesus is God. Because when Matthew writes, when Jesus heard what had happened, he's talking about something big here, okay? He's not talking about how he heard that so-and-so twisted their ankle or broke their leg or got in the fender bender. He hears something that is so gnarly, all right? And we're going to read that as we back up in Matthew chapter 14. What Jesus has heard about is this. Let's pick it up in verse 6. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. So what Jesus has heard about is John the Baptist's head being cut off while in prison. Big deal. John the Baptist, this is Jesus' rabbi. This is Jesus' cousin. This is Jesus' friend. This is the one who baptized Jesus before his ministry began. This is the guy who said, Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. This is a big deal. And his head has just been cut off. Jesus gets word. And what does he want to do? Because he's human, he just wants to go away for a little bit so he can cry, so he can grieve, so he can pray, so he can do whatever he needs to do to process this information, this devastating information that he has just heard. And so he goes away. But what happens? The crowd sees him. The crowd sees him. And they're needy, and they're sick, and they, so they pursue him. And what does it say that Jesus does? It says that he has compassion on them. 
You see, this is where Jesus is different. Because if it's me, and I hear something like this, I'm thinking, could you just give me a minute? Could you leave me alone for a second? Hey, I know. How about someone have compassion on me for once? Someone consider what I'm going through right now. I just lost my friend, my cousin, my family. And yet all y'all want is to come after me. Can I just have a minute? But that's where Jesus is different because he's God and he sees them and he has compassion on them. And I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but some of y'all need, someone in here, maybe several of us need to hear this this morning, that you are not annoying Jesus when you go to him over and over in prayer. You are not bugging him. Because if he can have compassion on these people right here in the moment where he has heard about John's death, then certainly he has compassion on you. Certainly he does. So do not believe for a second. And I've heard people say this. I just, I just feel like I just go to God all the time and, and it's the same thing over and over and blah, blah, blah. No, he's different. He's different. And so he, after hearing all these things, he sees this crowd, he has compassion on them, and he heals their sick. And picking it up in verse 15 now, it says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, there is a remote, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, what we need to understand about Jesus, yes, he's different, but Jesus also does everything. Everything. Everyone say everything. Everything with extreme intentionality. Everything that Jesus does is intentional. From the miracles that he performs to the sermons that he preaches to the towns that he, he goes to and when he goes to them, everything Jesus does, he does intentionally. Everything. It all has a purpose. And this is no exception right here. And what he's doing here, this, this, this story is really not so much about the 5,000. This story is about Jesus and his disciples. And we see that right here when the disciples tell, tell, tell them, like, look, they need to go get some food. He said, no, 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 they don't need food. He doesn't say, I'm going to feed them. What does he say? He says, you do it. You feed them. I'm putting this on you because everything that is happening here is about you and me. It's about the 12 and me, ultimately. Now, obviously, there's a greater lesson for all of us. But in this moment, he is teaching the disciples something. I'm going to see that again in a bit, but let's keep going in the story. Verse 17, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Notice that he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. All right, so there's a lesson happening here. What is Jesus doing? What is he teaching his disciples? Let's look in John chapter 6 now and see uh, a different perspective that will help us understand exactly what Jesus is teaching 
his disciples. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. <coughs> you notice here, Jesus is the one in John uh, chapter 6 that initiates the conversation. He actually goes to Philip says, hey, there's a lot of people. What are we going to do? Where can we buy all the food? Right? So he is initiating the conversation in John's version of this story, in John's perspective. But he says this. He, is, he asks this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. He asked this to test him. Anyone in here ever been tested by Jesus? Anyone? Anyone in here going through a test right now? Yeah, I'm sure there's more of us in here that are, that are ready to raise our hand on that one. We don't like being tested, right? I don't want to be tested. Testing has a negative con. Why would God test us? But let me tell you all something. God testing people is throughout Scripture. So why would God do that? We don't like being tested. It does have a negative connotation. You go back to school, right? You study for the test, or maybe you don't study for the test. And you get graded on your performance, and we're, we're almost validated by that. I got an A, or I got a B, or whatever. Okay, good. And we, the, the lesser grades, we feel worse about ourselves. And there's this pass-fail feeling when we're tested. And so when we hear that God tests us, we apply that same thinking to, to the Lord and how He tests us. And we don't like it. And as we get older, we get out of school, we get tested. When we think about being tested in life, it's never a good thing. It's always hard things, right? It's always, it's always hard things when God tests us or when we feel like we're tested. And so we don't want to be. But listen to what it says in James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, about testing. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that, the, here it is, testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy. Pure joy. Y'all, I mean, are you serious? Like anyone in here ever, ever felt pure joy when being tested, right? And what does it say? Tested in trials, plural, of many kinds. In other words, like it's not one trial and it's not several trials, but it's the same thing. So you can kind of get used to it a little bit. It's like, no, it's always changing. It's always changing. And there's a lot of trials, but it's okay. Consider it pure joy, right? Yay. No, no. I'm sorry, James. I'm sorry. I got a problem with this. Pure joy is Christmas morning. All right. Pure joy is my wife's homemade, from scratch, sourdough cinnamon rolls that in Jesus' name she's going to make again soon, right? Pure joy, you know, I said it from stage, so now she has to, because all y'all going to check on her, and she's, I just shot myself in the foot. Did you make those for James? 
Pure joy is the Jags winning the Super Bowl next February. That's pure joy. That is a trial that I can get on board with, right? But pure joy is not life when life gets really hard. But what God's saying is, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because how I see tests and how you see tests are two different things. Y'all, do you understand that our bar for satisfaction in life is like way down here? And God's bar for satisfaction and joy in life is way up here. And we are so content to live right down here as long as it doesn't involve any tests or any trials. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I want to bring you up here. And so consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you go through tests and trials because what's happening is I'm bringing you up. I'm bringing you up to things that you didn't even know existed. I'm bringing you up to happiness and a calling and ministry that you didn't even think possible. It says in 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Your faith will be like gold that has been tested in a fire. And these trials will prove that your faith is worth much more than gold that can be destroyed. They will show that you will be given praise and honor and glory when Jesus Christ returns. You see, our faith to the Lord is valuable. He compares it to not just gold, but better than gold, because gold can be destroyed. So, but your faith is like gold, which is tested on the beaches of Fiji. No, in the fire. It's tested in the fire. But it will produce, it'll give you praise. And, and, and when, we, when we have this perseverance, going back to James chapter 1, we will be mature, we will be complete, and we won't lack anything. But we have to be tested. And that's what Jesus is doing with the disciples here when he tests Philip. But we say, I don't want to be tested. Like, I don't want to be tested, Lord. Which means I just want to be comfortable. I don't, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I don't need to grow. Just, just let me be. I'm going to keep coming to church. I'll you know, take part in what's going on. I'll be, I'll be in a community group. I'll go, to, I'll go to the 80s party. I'll even put on a costume and dance some. I'll do those things. But outside of that, Lord, if you could just kind of just let me be. Keep me away from the tests and the trials. But here's the thing. God loves us way too much to allow us to miss out on the amazing things that he has for us that we don't even know about. I mean, the thing about being tested, the thing about trials is we, we go through them, and I think all of us in here would say, yeah, it was really hard. That test, that trial was brutal, but I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it because I'm not the person that I was before that. I'm different now. I'm changed now, and it would not have happened if I had not gone through it. It would not have happened if I had just sat on my couch through that whole thing. I needed it. I needed it. 
Philip answers Jesus in verse 7. He says, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So here's what's happening as Philip is being tested. He's looking at the problem. He's looking at the people. He's going, there's 5,000 men here, along with the women and the children, and they don't have any food, and you're asking how much bread we need to buy? That's the problem. And I'm fixated on the problem. And what Jesus is teaching the disciples and teaching us in this story is, don't look at the problem. Look at me. You got a dude here that walks on water, that can calm the wind and the seas, that can touch a leper and make them whole, that can heal the blind, and you're looking at 5,000 people and saying, we got a problem? No, no, no. You have the solution. The problem doesn't even matter. I'm the solution, so stop looking out there and look at me. I want to ask you all this morning, those of us that are going through tests and trials, where are your eyes right now? Are you so fixated on the problem that you forgot that Jesus is standing right there with you? The solution to all the problems? It goes on to say in verse 8, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. All right, so again, what is the lesson here? What is Jesus teaching his disciples in this moment? I want to go back to the point where Jesus is testing Philip. And it says, he already had in mind what he was going to do. And just consider that for a second. And listen to me. Hear me on this, y'all. When you go through tests, when you go through those trials of many kinds, you need to understand something. Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do. He's not in the same boat as us. Remember, he's different. He's with us in the boat. He's with us in the trial. He's in, with us in the test to be there with us, but he's not struggling in it. He's having compassion on us while also knowing exactly what he is going to do. He's already got the answer. He's already got the solution. But in, in this moment, specific to the disciples... Okay, what we see in this story, in both Matthew and John, is Jesus is bringing the situation to them. He says, you go feed them. You hand out the bread. You collect all the leftovers. You all do this. And when it says that he already had in mind what he was going to do, I believe truly that it's more than just what he was going to do in terms of taking these, these five loaves and the two fish and multiply them to feed the people. I believe when it says that Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do, he's talking about a much, on a much bigger scale. He already had in mind that he was going to die on a cross. He already had in mind that he was going to be raised again three days later. He already had in mind that he was going to be the savior of the world. And he already had in mind that he was going to go back to heaven and hand the keys of the kingdom, the church, the new church, to the disciples. He's going to say, it's yours now. 
He already had in mind what he was going to do. And so what he is doing, being incredibly intentional in this moment, is he is teaching the disciples that it is going to be yours and you have to be able to go and you have to know that no matter the situation, I am enough. I am enough. And so you go feed them. You go hand out the bread. You go collect all of the leftovers. You see for yourself that there are 12 basketfuls left over because what I am teaching you is not just for now, but it is for what is to come. And though you don't know it, I do. That's what testing is, y'all. It's teaching us something, not just to get through the moment, but to be ready for what is to come that is greater than we could ever imagine. But we have to go through the test to get there. So Jesus is testing the disciples to ready them for what is to come later down the road, which is him saying, here you go. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. It's yours now. You go feed the people. And this time I'm not talking about bread out of some kid's lunch. I'm talking about the bread of life. And now you can go back and you can remember when we were on that hillside and you gave the people the bread. You passed it out to everyone. You collected all that was left over and you will remember that. And it will give you the confidence and the faith to continue on in the mission that I have given you to build my church. I already have in mind what I'm going to do. And it's greater than you could ever imagine. So we're going to use this moment, because I'm extremely intentional, to teach you something for what's down the road. They were satisfied with here. Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. I got something for you up here. You're going to build my church. So let's not worry about 5,000 hungry people. Let's talk about the world and how hungry they are. Thank you, Jesus. There's another kind of cool lesson in this story that, that kind of goes along with Jesus being extremely intentional. And, you know, the, the, in the Jewish culture, the Jews were and are, uh, numbers mean a lot to them. In scripture, numbers are not lost. There's nothing, there's nothing like wasted here. There's nothing coincidental. Remember, Jesus, intentional. And there's two very important numbers that stick out in this story that Jesus was well aware of, and so were the people there. And those numbers are five and two. Five loaves of bread, two fish. What do those represent? Well, the five loaves of bread represent the Torah. The books of Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Five. And the two, the two fish, represent the two tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on, otherwise known as the law. And what Jesus is now showing this mass crowd, he's saying, look, this law and the, the Torah that you hold so dear, I'm going to show you something about these, right? I'm going to take them and I'm going to multiply them and say that they are good. But what I'm also telling you is that I am over them. I am over them. 
And if you want to go back and you want to read, and I encourage you to do so, to read John chapter 6. There's a lot in there. And, but towards the end, Jesus is giving a really hard teaching. Even to this day, many people are like, I just, I don't, I'm not quite sure where he was coming from on this. But he tells them, and he says it five times. Again, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. You want to follow me? You, you eat my flesh and you drink my blood. He says it five times. And what I believe, this is, this is just James talking, right? You know, Beaches Chapel. But it's, it's, it's Jesus saying, look, you can, you can take the law, right? You can take the Torah, you can eat of that, but there's something new. There's something new. And as you are satisfied with that meal that we had earlier of the fish and the loaves, what I am now offering you is something that you will You'll, you'll never be hungry again. You need to be satisfied with me. Because what they're saying to them is like, show us a sign, you know, and, and back then Moses had manna come down and Jesus is like, no, it wasn't Moses that sent manna, it was God and now he has sent me. I am the new manna. I am the new bread. I will satisfy you more than me giving, doing a miracle of 5,000 people. Eat of me. Eat of me. It's new. And trust me with the law. But with me comes grace. Comes sacrifice. Yes, there will be testing. Yes, there will be trials. But I will be with you. And guess what? I already know what I am going to do. So here's y'all's lesson. He's talking to the crowd. Eat of me. Take me. Trust me. Trust me with the tests. Trust me with the trials. Trust that I have things for you that you couldn't imagine. And that everything I do is extremely intentional. And stop, stop worrying about the problem and start focusing on the solution. That's me. So I want to encourage you all this morning, if you are going through a test, if you are going through a trial, trust Jesus. Trust him that he already has in mind what he's going to do. Some of the band come back up, and I just want to ask, <coughs> I want to ask you all this question as you sit here on a Sunday morning in church. And don't answer this, but just answer to yourself. But do you believe that this miracle happened? Like, do you believe this is a true story, that Jesus did this? That Jesus fed 5,000 men and women and children on, on this day. Because if you believe that, why are, what, are we, what is there to worry about? Like, can, we, can you believe that story and then also walk in anxiety and stress and worry over everything in your own life? Because if you believe in this story, then we should be free of those things. Like, what's the point in believing in the story and still walking in anxiety and stress and worry and doubt and all those things? We need, to, we need to take hold of this story. We need to take hold of this truth. If we believe it, then let's believe it for us now. Believe it for yourself now. That yeah, you might, you might be in a test, you might be in a trial, but know that when Jesus says he already has a mind for what he's gonna do, it's so much more than how he's gonna feed the people. It's about the, the 
purpose of the test that you're going through. That he has you going through this. You're being refined by fire for a reason, so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There are things for all of us in here. I don't care where you come from, what your background is, how old you are, how long you've been walking with the Lord, what you've accomplished, what you haven't accomplished. I don't care. What I do know is that there is more. There is more for every single one of us. This is how the Lord operates. We don't retire here. There's always more.
what's going on in our life is because you're mad at us or because you're punishing us or anything like that, God. But that we would know, that we would know, that we would know that you have us and that you're preparing us for something new. You're bringing us to a new place. You're changing who we are, Lord. So that we can say, too, that's that former self, that's not me anymore. That's, that's not who I am. God, if it takes going through a test, if it takes going through a trial, praise God. Because there's no danger in them, Lord. There's no fear because you're with us. So I cast out any fear in Jesus' name. Those that are walking in fear, cast that out right now in Jesus' name. We say no. We say no. Jesus. 